Today, we're going to turn to the book of John, the gospel of John, not 1 John or 2 John or 3 John that we had been talking about weeks ago, but the gospel of John, chapter 1, and I want to talk about hope today. The story of Christmas is a story of hope. There's a lot of detail underneath this story, and John's gospel gives us some of that detail. So Elizabeth is going to read it for us, and please follow along. Good morning, church family. Join me in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with us, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace, and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Amen. Thank you, Elizabeth. Now, just to introduce this and to remind us all, there are four Gospels in the Bible. There are other Gospels that have been written over the years, but four that are inspired and a part of the Word of God. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of them begin the story about Jesus with his birth. That's Matthew and Luke. So it starts at the birth and right before the birth and the whole thing coming up. And that's where we get our stories about the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and the manger and Bethlehem coming from Nazareth and all of that and Herod and all that comes from Matthew and Luke. Mark starts the story with Jesus's adult life. So Matthew and Luke start at the birth and go all the way to the death and the resurrection and the ascension. Mark, the middle book of those three, starts at the adult life of Jesus and goes all the way to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So those three are very similar, just starting at different times. So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now you have John, where we're going to be today. And John begins the story at the beginning of the world. Not at the beginning of the Christmas story, 
but the beginning of the world. And we're gonna look at that in just a moment. What's important of this to remember, there are two Johns in the book of John. Okay, so I just wanna clarify that. The named John who is here is John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, and that is a part of the story of Jesus' adult life that we're not gonna talk about today. The other John, the writer of the book, is unnamed in this passage. He's named later on in the book, but unnamed here. So ignore the John at this point, because the story's about Jesus, not about John. John's very important. Both Johns are very important. There's John the Apostle, the disciple of Christ, and there's John the Baptist, or the baptizer as we know him. Neither of them play into this story, except that John, the disciple apostle, did write these words. But that just when you read that, just go, okay, that's a part of the later part of the story. But we're gonna look at this today. So there are four things I want you to learn about Jesus, and then three applications of that. Can we do that today? We're not gonna be too long today. I just wanna kind of get us thinking, and then we're gonna do a couple more Christmas carols to end this today. So we're gonna end singing some of the familiar Christmas carols, so stay around. So we're a little early today, but let's look at four things. Number one, in verses one to eight, it talks about Christ's pre-existence. What do I mean by that? In other words, Christ existed before he was born. Now that's an odd thing to say. I didn't exist before I was born. My mom and dad existed, their parents existed before I was born, others existed, but I did not exist. Before my birth date, there was no Bill Mitchell. At least there were a lot of Bill Mitchells, but not this Bill Mitchell, as we learned a few weeks ago. There are a lot of Bill Mitchells around. But this Bill Mitchell was born, and I did not pre-exist. Now, I might have been a glimmer in my dad's eye, and I might have been thought of, or whatever else, but I did not exist. But the Bible says in verse 1 and 2 of John, in the beginning... So in the beginning was the word. The word is the word logos in, or logos in the, in the Greek. It's the word Christ. It's the word that we take for Christ. There is the written word, which is the Bible. There is the living word, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word. We know that because it'll mention it later in the passage. But in the beginning, which is interesting, John takes the same words that Moses wrote at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, right? What are the three, first three words in English in the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter one. In the beginning was the word. In other words, Jesus was there in the beginning, which means he wasn't created in the beginning, he was there in the beginning. He even preexisted creation. He preexisted Bethlehem, where he was born, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, and he preexisted even creation. It goes, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. There's two things I want you to think about with Christ preexisting, preexistence. Number one, Christ is eternal. Excuse me, Christ is God and eternal. So two parts of that, Christ is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's eternal, which is an attribute of God, and Jesus is God. So immediately, we have a problem here. 
Because immediately the story we have been told in our mythologies of the Western world and the Eastern world and the Southern world is Jesus appeared sometime in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. But we're breaking that mythology and it really is a myth. Jesus didn't appear, he was already here. Now he came in the form of a child, we'll look at, but please understand that Jesus existed. This cuts through everything, this is the problem. What's interesting is, People don't have a problem when you talk about God. People don't have a problem when you talk about prayer. People don't have a problem that you're being helped by some spiritual influence called the Holy Spirit. People have a problem when you talk about Jesus Christ. That's the problem in this world. I've been told so many times when I go into settings, you can talk about anything you want to talk about except Jesus Christ. You can talk about your life, your change, and and I go, well, I'm a pastor of Jesus Christ, so I've got to talk about Jesus Christ, so just don't invite me to come if you don't want me to talk about Jesus Christ, because we are inextricably brought together. Later in Colossians, which we won't get to offline here, you don't even breathe without Jesus. You've got to understand, it's, the Bible says he's the glue that keeps it all together, the glue. I mean, there's atomic words for all this, and there's scientific words for this. I'm a simple person, it's glue. I breathe, it's because Christ wants me to breathe, and someday I will breathe my last, and I will be sent to Christ, right? It's an amazing thing. We have to realize the story of Christmas is not about an eight-pound boy. It is not about that. That is a part of the story, but this story is far deeper. The other is, It says in verse two, he was in the beginning and all things were made through him. The second part of this preexistent is he is creator. He is the creator. Now here's the problem that we have. We divide the Bible into three sections, a lot of us, and we have three sections here, so I'll just do it. You're the Old Testament, you're the Gospels, and you're the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles. So, We have a trinity, which we believe. So God the Father was over here doing all this activity with Moses and Elijah and Esther and Nehemiah, name all those Old Testament characters, and God the Father's working it. Then all of a sudden, our first Christmas day, Jesus shows up and the Gospels is all about Jesus. And then Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit is given in the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles is all about the Holy Spirit. And so people think that there's this tripart act of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that is not true? God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ were there at the beginning. They were there with Moses, they were there with Esther, you know, all those things, all the stories, they were there. Obviously, they were there in the story here of the Gospels, But they're also, it's not like Jesus is gone and he's just not a part of anything until he comes back, whenever that may be. It could be today, it could be hundreds or thousands of years from now. And so it's only the Holy Spirit that's working today. Can I tell you, God the Father's working today, God the Son's working today, God the Holy Spirit is working today. Because it's one God in a trinity. If anybody can explain that, it's hard to explain, but we believe in one God, three parts. 
One God, three parts, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, all three were there at the beginning. It's not like God all of a sudden emanated Jesus 2,000 years ago to come down and save the world. This is not an afterthought. Next week, on Sunday morning, if you're here on Sunday morning, we're gonna talk about the whole why of all this. So why, what's the object of this whole Christmas story? And there's some great passages in the Bible that we'll look at. But let's keep going. Well, one of the interesting thing is, let me just read a quote. God has been dismissed from the external world by science and from the internal world by psychology. The modern world says life and people are good or at least neutral and they're a blank slate. This story we're gonna listen to today, we are not a blank slate. And this is not a neutral story and God is not silent either externally or internally. He's involved in the world externally, he's involved in the world internally as well. And that is our story of Christmas. Now let's move to the second part. The second part is that Christ revealed himself. There is a revelation that comes in Jesus Christ. Let's move down to verse nine. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We hear this throughout, it's one of his attributes. It's throughout the gospels, it's throughout the epistles that Jesus Christ is the light. There is a revelation that comes with Jesus Christ. He is revealed. He's been revealed in the Old Testament through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and Hosea and these great passages ahead of time. We read some of those on up on the rooftop. He's been revealed. He obviously was revealed during his earthly ministry and he's still being revealed today because guess what? You weren't there on that Christmas morning, were you? I wasn't there. How did I hear about Jesus Christ? He was revealed to me. That revelation continues. Did I hear it through the reading of his word quietly in a room? Did I hear it from my parents who shared it? Did I hear it at a sermon or a youth group camp or somewhere else? It doesn't matter where you heard it or did you hear it in a still small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you? But the reality is this, Jesus was revealed. There's a revelation, and I don't mean the book of the revelation, that too, but there is a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's being revealed. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, but they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That is the revelation that comes. We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's look at the third part of this in verse 14. And this is kind of a sister to this, Christ's incarnation. Now that's a big word, incarnation, and I don't care if you remember that word or don't remember it, but you need to remember the concept. The concept is this, in means in, we know that. Carney is flesh. Christ became flesh, and the Bible says, and dwelt among us. Do you see that? So Christ became flesh. It wasn't that Christ came down in a spirit and kind of dwells in our spirit. 
Christ came down in the flesh. Christ came down in a body. It was a human body. It was a baby's body that grew. And of course, we know the rest of the story. There's two words I want you to write down with this, and they're two very big words. And again, if you don't get the words, get the concept. The first word is this, transcendence. It's not up on the screen. Trans, which means across. Sendence means to come down. So an example, when I get it on a plane in Miami and I fly to Europe, I have transcended the Atlantic Ocean, right? So I've transcended the Atlantic Ocean. I started in USA and I ended up in Europe. So I've transcended the USA, the Atlantic Ocean and ended up in Europe. Christ transcended heaven and came down to earth. So instead of the horizontal me going to Europe, it's the vertical Christ coming down in the form of a child in flesh, right, incarnation. Now there's a second part to this. The second part of this, and another big word, don't worry about the word, it's called imminence. Imminence, I-M-M-A-N, however else you spell it. I always wanted to be an English teacher, but I knew I could never get spelling right, so why even try? So imminence, but in, again, that M or in man, it's immanence. He is with us. In other words, here's the difference. If I can give you an example. We have hundreds of people watching on live stream, and we are glad you are watching on live stream. I have transcended the internet to be in your living room this morning. I am in your living room this morning. I'm in your car. I'm at the beach if you're watching on your laptop or something. I am with you in that sense. I have transcended from being here to being there. But can I tell you, I'm not imminent with you. I'm imminent with the people in this room. Do you see that? It's one thing to transcend one place to get to another and kind of hear about it, know about it. And in some sense, you are here in some sense. But you who are on live stream are not in this room with me. You can see me, you can feel me, you can hear me, you can sense my spirit a little bit, but you are not with me. When I walk down these steps and I shake your hand, I am imminent with you. When I say thank you for coming and I wish you a Merry Christmas, how's your family doing? Can I pray for you? I am imminent with you, correct? See the difference? Some people think Jesus came transcendently to earth but he has no relationship with us. No, he came imminently to be with us, to have relationship with us. He had to transcend heaven to come to earth, but when he came here, he didn't just sit up in a kingdom or sit up on a palace and just start saying, you do this and you do this and you do that, kind of give us edicts. No, he walked with us. He talked with us. He prayed with us. He cried with us. And you say, he didn't cry with me. And you're right, he didn't cry with you. He cried with people though. He understands us because he is imminent. Christ is transcendent. He came here. Some people believe, and some religions believe that there is a God and he's way out there. And the, we can never know him personally because he hasn't transcended to get to us. And then no one but us believes that God became man and dwelt among us. 
That is a distinctly Christian concept. That's why it's called Christian. It's Christ. It's a Christ concept that he is imminent with us. And then we move to verse 16. Great verses here, kind of hard. This is the part that's a little hard to understand. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. There is a sacrifice that's gonna happen. It's predicted here. Well, actually, this was written afterwards, but if you're reading it, you wouldn't know it had happened yet. There's a payment that's gonna happen. And he uses this word grace upon grace. It's one of the few places, if not the only place in the Bible, where it's a double grace. Grace is an important concept in the Bible. It's one of those super big things. God's grace, we sing about God's grace, amazing grace, all these things about grace. It's up here, this is what God gives us. And out of his grace comes his mercy and his love and his help and all these incredible things that he does to us. But it's his grace up here. When he sacrificed himself, which is later in the story that we're not gonna speak a lot about today, it was grace upon grace. In other words, this is a super grace event that Christ did. When, you know, God loves us, that's grace. God answered my prayer today, that's grace. God came down to save the world from the sins they had, that is super grace. That is grace upon grace. You ever been nice to somebody and go, I've been nice to them, and I've really been a lot of nice to them again. You know, I've kind of really been nice to them. That's really good. But this is like grace, and then he's plowed more grace on this. Why? Because the sacrifice was his death. The sacrifice was not his birth. You would think that would be enough. Being king of the world, creator of all creation, he becomes a human. That's enough of a sacrifice. And then he does one of the worst types of death possible, what, on a cross. That's at Easter time, but we even use the word excruciating. The word excruciating comes from the word crucify, excrucify. It is so painful, one of the most painful things when you go, oh, it was an excruciating pain, what you're saying is it's the worst kind of pain you can have. The worst kind of death someone could have back in those days was a crucifixion. It was excruciating. You see, the grace was not just that he came to earth to live a good life, and the grace was that he gave us great sermons, and grace was he was a good man. That's good enough. No, it's not. There's more grace that he died for us. It's grace upon grace. So what do we learn from this? Can I give you three thoughts on this? And this is important in the learning of this. The real kind of understanding the story, under the story, three strands of understanding of the Christian message. And I know the word Christian is a very difficult word this day because everybody says they're a Christian. So I use the word message. The message of Jesus Christ at his birth, I didn't have enough space to put it up on the screen, so I called it the Christian message, but it's the expanded as this. Number one, there is a definitive side to this. There is an incredibly definitive side, and that is this story is Christ-centered. It is Christ-centered, entirely Christ-centered. It's not Mary and Joseph-centered. 
It's not the virgin birth centered. It's not Herod doing what he did centered. It's not Gabriel doing what he did centered. It's not the wise men and the magi coming centered. It's not the shepherd centered. It's not the heavenly host centered. It's not you centered. It's not me centered. Who is it centered around? Christ. It's a definitive message of Christ. Most people that have problems with Jesus Christ have it right here because it is the whole story, our whole story, our whole Bible story, our whole Christianity story, our whole church story is based on the definition of who Christ is. He's God, he's creator, he's preexistent, he revealed himself, he became incarnate here and he sacrificed and paid the penalty for our sin. That is the definitive message that is here. But part two, like any play, there's always a bad part to this. Part two is there's complete rejection. Everyone has rejected this. Please don't ever say the Jews rejected this. Oh, they did but so did the Gentiles. So did you, so did me, so did everybody at some point in time rejected it. Verse, uh, what are we at? Verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And it, by extension, all of us have rejected him. And this is the amazing thing. If the whole story of life, the whole story of the world is based on Jesus Christ, and we have all rejected him. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. All we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. It's right here, we have all rejected. But that's not the end of the story, because there's part three. And this is what's so cool. There's an absolute to this. There's transformation that can come. Look at the next verse, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the story of hope in our story of Christmas. The story is the story of an almighty preexistent God and his son Jesus Christ. It's a story of us rejecting it. At some point in time, all of us have rejected. And it's a story of those who believe will be absolutely transformed. You see this little, it's called a prologue, these 18 verses, kind of the beginning of this whole book of John. This does away with people come to me, can I lose my salvation? Can I lose what I had at one time with Jesus? And the answer is no, you cannot lose it. Why? Do you think Jesus came and did all that he did so that your fickleness could lose it? I mean, think about it. Then it's a story about you, not about Jesus. The story is about Jesus and that he loves you and that he came to die on a cross for you and transform, and it says here, whoever believes in him, he gave the right to become a child, which means 
If you're a child of God and then you lose it, what does that mean? You've been adopted into the family and then all of a sudden you got unadopted. See how ludicrous that is? People go, oh, you know, I was saved last week, but today I'm not feeling it. I must not be. This is like you're saying God's adopted me. Now he's thrown me out of the family. Now he's brought me back into the family. Now he's thrown me back out of the family. It's ludicrous. Do you think God is that fickle? You may be fickle, but God is not fickle. You might doubt, but the question is, do you believe? And people go with some, did they really believe? I don't know. That's between God and them. But God says here, and it says all throughout the Bible, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And you will become one of his children who, verse 13, were born. This whole born again thing, which people kind of mock, is true. You are reborn as a member, as a part of the family, as a child of God. This is so important. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. What that means is not through a woman's, through uh, birth, through the birth canal, through blood, nor through the will of the flesh. In other words, I don't know about you, but when Elizabeth and I, when we got married, people would say, do you want children? We say, yes, we want children. You see, that's our will. You know, the will of the flesh, and we think, oh, wow, we created the children. Well, that's kind of ridiculous to begin with, but we seem that way because we had five children. And we say, oh yeah, you must have, it must have been your will that you had children. Well, we wanted children, but it's God's will that we had children, not our will that we had children. Nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, your birth in the kingdom is from God. And the work that was done was done by God through Christ at the story that begins this part of the story at Christmas. And if you believe this, this is what gives us hope. This world has a lot of hopelessness in it, doesn't it? There's a lot of trouble coming ahead. There's a lot of things gonna happen. A lot of people are afraid to go into 2023. What's the economy gonna do? What's the um, government gonna do? What's the states gonna do? What are these gonna do? What are those gonna do? And we go, I don't know, but we know who is in control. I'd like to read just a couple of words on this because I believe Jesus Christ is our hope. I believe the story of Christmas is not just a great time in the winter to celebrate and to pause and to have a good family time. This is a critical cornerstone to the whole story. So can I read you just a, a piece of this? This is not in the Bible, this was written by a man. There is only one hope, and it is God in Christ. In this incarnation, God has exhibited the glory and grace that is native to his selfhood. And through this incarnation, humankind can regain the glory and grace it once had when it was created. God discloses himself. God enters our world bearing truth and grace in order to transform whoever will receive him. Transformation is not an inspired human work. It is a divine work through and through. This passage of scripture at the beginning of John is the most complete, indeed the most explicit study of Christ's preexistence in the New Testament. His being, his essence, his very nature is one with God. This is to be compared with an ethical divinity. 
in which Jesus is valued or aligned with God as evidence in what he does. There are so many people, if I could digress, who think that Jesus is the best human who ever lived. Great human. And he was the best human who ever lived. But they stop at that. They think he is just a divine ethic. Let us follow the teachings of Jesus. And if we follow the teachings of Jesus, we've got it all right. Can I tell you, you can't follow the teachings of Jesus without following Jesus himself. And if you follow Jesus, you gotta take the bad passages with the good passages. Take up your cross and follow me, the bad passage. Love your neighbor as yourself, the good passage. Do unto others that you want done, good passage. Follow me to the cross, bad passage. You see what I'm saying? You can't just take the good and leave the bad. It's all or nothing because Jesus is not an ethic. Jesus is God. But we've turned him into an ethic. We've turned him into some moral understanding. Redemption is thus no divinely inspired human event that sets out to placate God. Redemption is God himself at work in the world, achieving his own goals for repairing the consequences of sin and bringing humanity back into relationship with himself. The world then is not a neutral place, a place of open inquiry and curiosity about God. John's message is his theology of hope. The desperate condition of humanity is set against the goodness of God and his overtures toward the world in Christ. Now in closing, this is the hope to which John clings. Despite the fallenness and corruption of humanity, a corruption at the very heart of things, despite the hostility of humanity to God, nevertheless, God empowers men and women to be transformed and to become his children. In other words, there is nothing so bad that you can do that you cannot have the love of God. I have people go, you don't know what I've done. I have sinned such that God could never love me. Well, then, if you say that, you have smacked your hand at God's face because God came because he loved us. And there's nothing you can do to break that love. This is hope that despite the darkness, one light shined and this light worked to illumine all others. Despite the darkness, the glory of God radiated in the world, displaying the grace and the truth of the Father. That is the story of Christmas before we get to the birth of the baby boy in Bethlehem. Let's pray together.